0: Hello and welcome back to yet another episode of the VC Pruner podcast, a podcast that provides a unique perspective of the startup world through the lens of venture capitalists and entrepreneurs. I'm your host Digjay and today I have with me Sanjay Enath, co-founder and managing partner at Bloom Ventures. Founded in 2010, Bloom is one of India's leading early stage venture funds with more than 200 million in assets under management across multiple funds and over 150 investments that includes startups like Unacademy, Yulu, Dunzo, Slice, Class Plus, Ultra Human, among others. Prior to Bloom, Sanjay was based in the Silicon Valley and held consulting and management roles at Sun Microsystems, PwC, and IBM, and of Mabit Pilani and UCLA's Anderson School of Management. Sanjay got his start in venture capital as an angel investor with Mumbai Angels, where he invested in startups like Inmobi, Little iLabs and others. In this episode, Sanjay talks about his path leading up to Bloom Ventures, the genesis of Bloom to build an institutional seed stage fund, challenges faced as a first time fund manager, change in investment and hiring strategy with a growing fund size, the platform and community approach of supporting founders, building a strong VC brand, identifying founders that can build global companies from India, his learnings from a decadal career in VC and more. This was a special conversation with Sanjay and I absolutely enjoyed every bit of it. I hope you enjoy this conversation too. So without much ado, let's jump in and find out what Sanjay has to share. Hey Sanjay, welcome to the VC Prunna podcast. Very excited to have you with us today. Thank you so much for taking all the time.
1: Thank you, Digjay. Pleasure to be here with Risi Prina.
0: No, thank you. It's our pleasure, Sanjay, totally. And, you know, before we talk about Bloom, Sanjay, for the benefit of our listeners that don't know you yet, maybe we can start with a brief background about yourself and your path leading up to Bloom.
1: Sure, I'll try and, uh, I'll try and be brief. You know, it's an important question because it's a very personal question about paths and journeys. I'm a Bombay native. I'm a Bombay boy and I'll always be one. You know, the classic, uh, not surprising, engineer, MBA, you know, went went to school here in Bombay and then went to Bitspilani for engineering, worked a couple of years and then went to the Anderson School at UCLA, spent about 12, 13 years across management consulting and startup operational roles. And uh, interestingly, even though I was in Silicon Valley in San Francisco, I wasn't, was not a VC there. I actually got exposed to this whole exciting world thanks to the Mumbai Angels back in the late 2000s, thanks to Sasha and the founders. That's incidentally where I also bumped into and met Karthik, uh, you know, my co-founder at Bloom. You know, Naveen Tavari and Mobi was one of the first entrepreneurs I met and I'm still a small part of that story as the angel. And I got very excited partly because I had an international lens and I saw, you know, folks like that chucking up jobs and moving back and that's what excited me so if you t- uh, look at bloom 1 when we started we were actually a micro seed fund we would co invest with groups like the mumbai angels and the ian and uh, that that was the genesis and uh, yeah that's a bit about me today we are and we'll talk about that I'm sure but we are basically on a fourth fund 11 years exactly since we started and uh, it's a you know really exciting time to be part of the indian startup ecosystem of course as you know
0: Awesome. No, thanks for that background and couldn't agree more. We are at a very exciting time in the ecosystem. And, you know, the last three, four years, we've seen accelerated activity and a lot more quality and depth uh, with both with founders and the kind of ideas that they're working towards. Uh, And you gave some background, but let me, you know, quote some stats here, and this could be already dated. So more than 150 investments and more than 200 million in assets under management. And we know that's a big fund coming, uh, you know, pretty much soon. But when you started this, right, 10 years back, uh, you and Karthik, what was the shared philosophy or the vision, uh, you know, for Bloom back then? What were you trying to build or what were you trying to, was there a gap that you were trying to plug when you just started 10 years, 11 years back?
1: No, it's a great question, Digjay. You know, when we started, in fact, I remember one of the VCs, we spoke to very respected VCs, used this line that, you know, water flows through the path of least resistance. And if you think about the gap that we thought we'd go after, which we did, was really that seed gap. You know, you had incubators and accelerators, but you really didn't have seed funds. Uh, They were the classic Series A funds, right? If you think about the legacy VCs, whether it's Sequoia, Matrix, Axel, And the same VC we spoke to said, well, maybe there's a reason it's not being done because water flows to the path of least resistance. And Series A is the real opportunity, right? You know, and and it is true Uh, for multiple reasons. If you just look at economics, and especially if you're in Bombay, it's simple math, right? You have, we start start off with a 10 billion fund. And 200K is not going to sustain, uh, forget, uh, you know, one GP, even two GPs. So I think for many reasons, immature ecosystem, or not mature ecosystem for lack of exits and sort of market outcomes, you just had a very strong uh, pipe around Series A. And we thought that this is a great opportunity. This is exactly this the space that Mumbai Angels was playing in. And that vision DJ was really kind of like an institutionalized angel network, right? You Can you have the best and the diversity of thought and backgrounds of an angel network, but not the bureaucracy, right? You want to move fast and you want to be agile and nimble. Have the scale of a super tanker, but the speed of a speedboat, right? The agility. That was the vision. And also do it with a very strong platform approach. And we'll talk about that, but I think that's been central to us, not just This is not just a business of just cutting checks. So I think, you know, an institutionalized uh, version of an angel network, but with the the, uh, capability of uh, strong platforms to help out.
0: Right. Yeah. And it also speaks to the point and the philosophy that Bloom has followed, right, right through the beginning, adding that mentorship to founders, adding that support beyond just cutting the check. And, you know, I want to talk about that a bit more, but before that, you know, raising a fund in itself, uh, you know, like like you mentioned, you know, there are different kinds of challenges. One is, of course, which you touched upon, which is the size of the fund, uh, what's the right size to make, you know, for it to make sense for you to do this full time. Uh, and then the other is getting people to back you, uh, you know, without a track record at first. Uh, so if you could touch upon some of the challenges that you faced in those early days, from initiating and starting a fund uh, standpoint absolutely
1: so dj you know this is uh, this question is more a uh, not a wednesday afternoon uh, zoom but a friday after evening drink conversation right because <laughs> yeah. uh, there are so many interesting stories and sagas in that um i you know if i had to sort of sum up you know what surprised us and didn't surprise us i think there is no other way to start a first time fund without without the hustle you have to right you know wh- i think one learning is whatever pedigree and track record you have Whether it's angel investors or management consultants, it doesn't really matter. I think what LPs are looking for is, can they trust you as people? Uh, Can founders trust you? And can they trust that founders will trust you? And are you really trying to build something for the long term? Or are you looking at this as a one trick pony or like a first time fund, right? And which is why very often our, our industry sometimes likened to you know, the movie business where you have hits and misses or losses and also the music industry, right? Where you have sometimes a one-trick pony, you have one deal, but then you can't sustain it or even a longevity of uh, football or cricket, correct? If can somebody keep scoring over 10 years? So um, I think, uh, you know, our advice to our younger VC starting up is, I think one is to really find out like who you are and what you stand for. And what I mean is what will be differentiated over long-term. So we found out that a lot of people call it founder friendliness and, you know, we're founder first, founder friendly, but we thought that platform approach was interesting because we said that our strength is actually in connecting the dots and finding out where founders need help and then building the capability through that in-house versus saying that, okay, yes, we'll connect you to the right lawyers or we'll connect you to the right GTM consultants. So I think that we figured out, which is interesting. Um, also, we being founders ourselves, we had to take a lot of knocks. I mean, I know Karthik is on record saying we made about 600 pitches. And I actually joke and I tell her institutional LPs that I remember we were talking to one family office that said, at that time, you could take less than a crore because the AF rules for less than a crore. You, it was called the VCF. You could take 50 lakhs. And I remember, I'm just going to use uh, Hindi. My Hindi is terrible, but I remember one family office asking us, "If uh, third capital call me, if there's if we default, it Like that's the question they asked us, right? You know. Wow. So my the, the point is that you don't know better. You have to go to whoever gives you money. That's one. I think one learning also was interesting is that it is really your first investments that define you and how you treat those founders that define you and how you treat the LPs so For us, what we did was we did a first close and, uh, you know, we were quite thoughtful about how we made our investments. And luckily at the end of first one, we had ZipDial that was acquired by Twitter, Twitter's first acquisition, actually not just in India, but outside outside the US. We had Taxi for sure, which was acquired by Ola. And of course that helped define us. And uh, we also believe in scale. We felt that at that time, which was a micro VC, we should go a little broader and we wound up having more than 50 portfolio companies as a result, we just built out a Kind of a brand and a name where people said for lack of better but they're good people we think we're good people uh, uh, they're good people and uh, go to them if you're thinking about raising money
0: a lot of you know learnings uh, for emerging managers to take away but yeah if i had to summarize i would just say like you know a lot of in- introspection to start with to identify you know how do you differentiate yourself and then followed by a lot of hustle to you know convince people to back you and then of course laying the right foundation with your initial bets And you mentioned, right, and we'll talk about, you know, the platform approach multiple times throughout the conversation. You had that in mind when you started, it's difficult to like, you know, have a team or build a platform when you are a lean fund, you know, especially the first fund where you don't have the liberty to hire a lot of people, but that changes once you, you know, have a larger fund size. And uh, that's what I want to talk about. Once you grow in size, you are expected to play a very different game as an investor as well. Uh, The outcomes have to be large. For it to make sense for your LPs, right, in terms of returns. So, what was it that you did differently, right, uh, both from an investment strategy standpoint and also a hiring standpoint, which will probably speak to the platform approach, you know, that we touched upon. So, if you could just like unpack that as you grew in size, uh, what changed from a strategy standpoint?
1: No, that's a great question. See, I'll answer it from a couple of different lenses. One is from the LP lens, from founder lens, and also from our own lens. I think if you look at the first principles and you think about the power law, which really defines, you know, our business, right? It's not just about hits and misses, but it is about how much do you own of your winners and you can you be there at those inflection points and be morally and spiritually be there with the founders all the way. And then financially, of course, you know, lots of folks talk about creating value, but people don't talk enough about capturing the value. You've got to create it and capture it. And you've got to capture it in a win-win way, right? You win only when your founders win, but you want to win along with your founders. So what that meant is that basically we, we shrunk the portfolio side even as we became larger uh, because the first fund was truly a micro VC and we still I still feel that was the best way to start. When we went to fund two, we did, this is all public, we did about 45 companies. So we shrunk that 60 to 45 uh, and you know we went from a 20 million fund to 60 million fund. The learning along the way is really Can you keep owning more of your winners? Uh, The tricky part is you don't know know, when they're going to become winners and who's going to become winners, right? So you have to always leave enough to to get there. Uh, From a founder perspective, actually founders, if you add value, they want you to stay on interestingly, right? I think the market and LPs think about it different stages, but founders really want people who are helpful. I I like to think uh, in this way, right? There are three kinds of VCs and angels. There are the really helpful ones, and then there is, uh, there is, let's just call it flat capital. I won't call it dumb capital, but let's just say just capital. There is smart money. There is, there is just money. And then there's also nuisance value. Uh, you have people who will also take value away from your business, ask you to change your business model because they've given you money, because they think they know better, right? And I think founders, as you scale, they want you to stay on if you can keep on adding value. And sometimes bring in partners, even if they're not you, and they say, hey, step back. We know these other folks will connect you. Let's bring these growth investors in, but they still look to you because you made that introduction. So I would say that learning was really the power law. That how do you get a piece of your winners, but also stay uh, and see the full life cycle of the founder journey along with them.
0: Right. Yeah. And you know, touching upon the platform or the hiring aspect uh, for you and Karthik, right? The responsibilities and the roles have changed uh, with the growing front size. So how did you manage that transition? How did your role change, right? As a, from a fund manager to maybe a firm manager, right? Where you're managing a firm, which is now housing, you know, a couple of funds. And then what was the hiring strategy around that? What kind of roles did you bring in to support this bigger cohort of founders?
1: Great question. I really like the way you've put it uh, from a fund manager to a firm manager. I think that is something I I actually tell people that uh, a couple of interesting ones is that you're actually running a company, right? We'll say, for example, that we are a startup that backs startups. But you eventually realize that today we have three offices. We have an investment team and a full-fledged platform team. You know, four offices, if you will. I mean, technically, if you you know count globally also, you have inherent challenges inside, right? Your investment team and the other younger folks have different aspirations. You want to take cognizance of that. You have culture, you have culture, different culture in the three offices sometimes, right? across offices. Uh, you've got a crazy market that's paying for hot talent, both in startups and in VC. So you become a full fledged company managing the firm. Uh, to your point about hiring, I think, you know, talent is the biggest differentiator because at the end of the day, at least the software startups make software. The hardware may actually do software, but, but we, at the end of the day, like a management consultant, we don't make anything, right? You are what your talent is and, of course, what you write, how you think. So I'll talk a bit personally, right? I mean, it's exactly 11 years since we started. What I love doing is really connecting the dots and, you know, meeting people. Zoom has been a bit of a challenge, but hearing other people's stories and also telling our story and seeing how those stories can mesh together right it's all about to me life is all about an intersection of venn diagrams right it is really how big that intersection is to quote shakespeare think about it we're all on the same stage think about it right you're writing about it you're angel investing i'm putting a lot of capital behind it but then i meet a tiger or somebody else who's putting a ton of capital behind it but it's the same stage the stage is not different right then you have an ipo banker who's taking the same company public you have a uh, your Swiggy and the other Dunzo delivery boys and the other delivery—it's the same stage. We're participating in the same ecosystem. I sometimes think you're sitting in your car on a call. Your Dunzo, which is a, which is an investing company, was sitting next to you. You suddenly see a logo. Somebody's using Slice. It is all there, right? I mean, it could be like one room. If you look at all the logos. So to 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 come back, I think the next decade for us is going to be about not only becoming a larger, increasing the AUM and going deeper into companies but also increasing the platform, adding more services, if you will. And we need larger funds today really because the market outcomes are becoming larger. 80 unicorns in the last two years uh, and counting, which has surprised everybody.
0: No, I absolutely agree. And, and you you mentioned this connecting the dots. And I think that echoes your approach as well. Uh, you know, A lot of community initiatives, a lot of ecosystem initiatives uh, comes to mind, you know, when I think about Bloom. Yeah. Some of them like the lead tribe or the founders fund uh, or your partnerships with... Uh, Draper Venture Network or, you know, Arca Venture Labs. So, you know, if you could talk a bit about some of these initiatives, uh, you know, tell us why do you think, you know, these are important for you at Bloom? Uh, and maybe a follow-up would be what kind of tangible and intangible outcomes have come out of these, uh, you know, initiatives, both for the fund as well as the founders, uh, you know, that you are backing as a fund?
1: So no, Great question. A couple of first principles in our business. I think everything that we touch is long-term. Right? So when you even ask about ROI uh, I think they're all intangibles at first and they become tangibles later in one sense. Uh, and uh, every initiative has to be actually driven by a passion. you know, in one sense, of course, you can say, all right, let's look, at, you know, like a. I mean, imagine we have an FMCG company and said, let's look at all these as business PNL business units, and then let's look at the RO and it. I don't think it can be only looked at that. It is also, you know, what does it do to our core? What does it do to the founder, right? Why is this making the world a better place? How is it going to help founders and how is it going to help uh, Bloom? So let's take an example like a Lead Tribe. Now, it is a fact that there are fewer women, entrepreneur, entrepreneurs, VCs, partners, yeah. fewer women than they should be. It has come some ways, but it's still not where it should be. There's no doubt about that, right? I think a diversity of thought is, you know, CAs versus engineers, women versus men. We just need more of that. There's a reason the Valley is the Valley because it's just so diverse. So Leap Tribe is an interesting one. You know, Radhika was very passionate about it. She, so so this also speaks to our culture. I'll, I'll just weave the culture part into it. Bloom is very entrepreneurial, right? And what I mean by that is if you think about Passion Connect, Sanam came up, put a hand up said, I want to do this, right? They are all quote-unquote entrepreneurs. Every initiative is also an entrepreneur When somebody says, hey, listen, my job is to find the next Danzo and the next Purple and the next Unacademy. So, you know, I can make a mark and I, I can help. I can say that I've helped create value and also help the firm capture value. But I also want to make a difference in the way the Indian ecosystem is going to be seen. So Tribe is a fantastic platform to say, women entrepreneurs being mentored by entrepreneurs. Similarly, we are very encouraging. I mean, it's kind of like the Google 8020 people put up the hand and we say, regardless of your rank and file, whether you're a partner or analyst, if there is something really passionate come up with a plan, come up with a budget, and then let's run with it, right? So you also need young role models because now Lead Tribe is successful. You're going to have others saying that, hey, I also want to do my version of Lead Tribe. So I think it's it's very powerful. Uh, We need much more of that. I think people uh, have to see this as much more than just investing, right? This is, in fact, I would say your work starts after you've invested.
0: Yeah. No, totally. And it has changed, you know, quite a bit, especially with the kind of optionality that founders have now today, uh, after, you know, the flow of capital that has come in in the last three, four years. Uh, And it also speaks to, you know, you rightly said the culture and the initiatives, right? And that helps you build a brand as a firm. And Bloom has, you know, been uh, pivotal in the ecosystem, I would say, founders uh, don't call you founder friendly just for the sake of it. There's a lot of hard work that has gone behind it. So, you know, if you had to uh, give advice to someone who's starting a new fund today, right? How does one uh, build a strong brand for themselves? You know, just like Bloom, what should they do, right? Or uh, try to focus on if they're starting, uh, you know, today from scratch?
1: You know, it sounds like a cliche, but I would just say uh, from the founder side to be very helpful to founders. If you ask, if you you think about, you know, imagine we're at at a party or you ask somebody a question about somebody, they're going to say, these are good people, or they're helpful, or they're not, right? Uh, very likely, somebody's going to say, oh, he's a very, very sharp domain expert in fintech. Uh, that may be true, but that's not the first gut reaction that comes to mind, right? So i found, uh, I mean, you have the parodies also, the VCs, that how can I be helpful, right? Um, but I think, I think what is really interesting is to genuinely be helpful. That's number one, right? I think the second is also we tell people that pick a spot, pick a space. In one sense, we have become a generalist VC platform, but within Bloom, we still specialize. 60% of our, uh, of our sectors are what we call, you know, built in India for India, uh, the Dunzo, the N Academy, the Servify's, uh, the, the Healthify's, you know, those sectors, Jayatisan. Uh, and the other 40% are what we call built in Bangalore for the world, right? The Locus, Lambda, Gray Orange, Exotel, you know, uh, WebEngage, these, these kinds of companies um so i would we tell young vcs they pick a spot right i mean you know if it is fintech or if it's uh, uh, an area go after that if it's SAS, go after that because you can't be everything to everybody that's one mm-hmm. and i think the third is uh you know just go make a few bets and then go deep into that because one thing that uh, you know you can't skim the surface i think people want to see the whole we, we want to see we want to see the whole life cycle you want to see uh, the reason you know the valley again is storied is because they've seen ups and downs they've seen bumps they've crashed and burned I think you also have you also have to see the highs the crash and burn is also helpful because you know you learn humility right you know you made mistakes I, I remember when uh, you know Jim Breyer was interviewed about Mark Zuckerberg and he was asked you know, did you know that Mark would touch every third person in the world and create a hundred billion dollar company and he said, not even, I knew, but even Mark didn't know, right? He just wanted to make a difference. So so um, uh, a lot of our learning comes from the mistakes we make. And I would just say that as a young uh, VC, you have to cut your losses very quickly. Know, all, talk to people and almost find out what not to do, right? Like learn from them and find out like, what do you avoid? What do you not do?
0: Yeah. No, I think that's that's a great cue for, you know, a lot of emerging VCs. Uh, and, you know, so far you've discussed a ton of things. So thank you so much for unpacking, you know, all those 11 years of learnings as a fund. Uh, you know, I want to uh, shift gears here and uh, talk about, uh, you know, an interesting theme. Uh, and you touched upon this a bit, uh, you know, as 40% of investments are focused on entrepreneurs that are, you know, kind of building from India, but for the globe. And that's been talked about a lot in the last few years. And, um, you know, clearly uh, enterprise SaaS has been an early adopter, uh, you know, to that theme, to that trend, but there's still a lot to be done, right? We made our presence felt uh, on the global stage, but it's just been enterprise SaaS so far. Uh, What, according to you, you know, uh, do you think uh, will be the other sectors, you know, that will adopt this trend next after enterprise SaaS?
1: Yeah, great question. You know, I'll say this, if if you just step back and look at India relative to China or Israel, right? In Israel, it's clear because the market is so small, they target the US and they have a very, very strong ties to Silicon Valley, right? So it's very different. In China, it has been more like the consumer market of India because it's been so large and they don't have the benefit of uh, SaaS. In one sense, we have the benefit of both. I would say, uh, in one sense, SaaS has become a business model, right? So when one thinks of enterprise SaaS, yes, it's true that kind of that sector, I wouldn't say it's been done. I mean, Freshwork of of course has proven that you can have a 300 million year company come out of India. Uh, But today, uh, like our gray orange robotics is building a robotic SaaS business, like a RAS, right? Uh, We have vertical SaaS and it's interesting, you know, you have, I mean, in one sense you could argue that like Tricog is building, you know, it for healthcare, Locus is doing for logistics. So SaaS has almost become like a business model, right? Whether it's applied vertically or horizontally, that's one. I think a more equal powerful shift is that today, Indian founders don't want to build, they don't want to build the best Indian companies. They want to try and build the world's best companies, right? The world's best companies. So we are seeing some interesting offshoots. We're seeing that prosumer, uh, the professional consumer, or if you look at even in some cases, consumer like a VR, AR, there are founders I've seen in Bangalore who want to build global businesses from Bangalore. Now, consumer is difficult to build from Bangalore for the world for two reasons. One is Uh, you have to be close to the consumer. Secondly, India is such a big market, right? So you would say first crack India. But if you look at uh, uh, domestic SaaS, there are some ones you can crack India and then crack Southeast Asia and then take it to the world. Productivity tools. Look at crypto, right? Of course, some of the founders have moved to Dubai and many of them have moved out. But I would say the lens is that today, Indian founders want to think global from day one. Even consumer-oriented founders, while they're focused on India, are still packing and constructing their cap tables with, other fintech founders, for example, in LATAM or in the US, uh, or there are, they want to bring in and they want to learn from, you know, the MasterCard CEO or the others, even if they're focused on India. So I think that lens on how to build and how to scale has changed. Um, I would say, of course, the, the deep tech, right? And what I mean is anything that touches robotics or space tech, we've done pixel in space tech. Uh, you have drones, you have, you know, India sending rockets now with Agni kul and the others. Uh, I think that deep tech layer is perhaps the next wave because there's real IP there, right? We've got Tricog in our own, which is doing, uh, you know, uh, sort of hard prediction algorithms. Uh, so I would say deep tech is in one sense a new frontier because it, you know, you're an engineer. It marries the best of core engineering with, with all the benefits of the SaaS model.
0: No, I think that's very well put. And uh, you spoke about the macros. Uh, one is, of course, the ambition has uh, increased significantly. They want to build global companies. And the second, the, just the ease of access, you know, both one, access to knowledge of what's the best way or what's the right way to do this and the access to global markets, uh, you know, sitting out of you know, anywhere in the world, literally. So some of those macro plays also, you know, playing an important role, you know, in seeing some of these companies. Yes. But yeah, coming back to the VC lens, right? Uh, again, it's difficult to identify the traits. You know, what do you look for uh, in founders that are aiming to build global markets? Like how do you differentiate the real ones who have depth versus, uh, you know, maybe some founders who have that on a PPT? Uh, so curious to know, how do you try to assess that? And maybe you could share some examples of, you know, startups from your portfolio that are on track to go global or are already global. And, you know, what would you attribute their success to?
1: See, in one sense, you know, today, uh, wherever we are, culturally, I think in one sense, it doesn't really matter where we are in terms of, you know, earlier, one could argue that uh, you really uh, had to have lived and studied and worked in the US, for example, to build globally, right? You had to be there if, if you're doing enterprise sales. So today, you can sell that on Zoom. We are watching the same Netflix series. You're watching the same movies. It's exactly the same, right? there's there's much less information and cultural asymmetry, right? We are more one and the same. If you think about, you know, I was at Third Wave Coffee in Bangalore just last week. And I look at the milieu and the profile of people who are coming in. It could be anywhere, right? You have, you have uh, non-Indians, you have dogs, you have all of that. And you see that in San Francisco or London, wherever it is, right? It's changed. The fabric has changed. That's number one. Um, to your point, I think, of going global. Yes, I think it's a great point, you know, that other founders can make a, the leap from a PPT to actually making it happen, and there is—I uh, think there are—I'll give you the example of Pixel, right? Because let's talk about specific. So, Avas is all of—I uh, I joke about this, but Aves and Shetish together are the combined age is exactly my age. <laughs> right? yeah. the Two founders yes. tells you how young I am. But uh, what is interesting is that uh, I found them on campus, and this is a great example of what can go blind, Use a tangible example. You have these two boys who are in their third year and the fourth year. They've already set up a, a U.S. entity. They've been selected to, I'm using a dramatic example. I'm using one of the best examples. But uh, they've been they were selected to represent India and be part of Hyperloop India. They've gone in the fi- final year and gone and set up and got invited to Texas Los Angeles to become a part of that, which has been set up as the Jet Propulsion Laboratory, NASA, and, you, you know, the U.S. government, right? They've not even graduated. And they've already signed on two, three global advisors, non-Indian advisors, or well, the space tech to help them, the companies, right? Now, the reason I'm giving you this example is that if you see this on a PPD saying that you want to do this, you'll say, great. Remember investors, in one sense, we get paid to to take risk, but you can also get fired or you also get penalized for taking too much risk or not throw too risk. And we joke about this, founders complain all about all this all the time, that no investor will ever say no. Mm-hmm. Nobody says no. Yeah. It's our job to wait. Unfortunately, sometimes we'll actually, unfortunately, I think the VC community can be accused of wasting founders' time, wasting their own time, right? So this, the, the, to answer your question, the fact that the pixel could complete that link, you say that, okay, what do you see is what you're getting. You know, if these founders are going to, they're doing this at the age of 80, 19, what are they going to do at 25, right? You're making that bet. So that's something that you're looking for. Uh, i think in one sense it's become easier but also tougher it's become easier because today you can sell on zoom because earlier you would say oh oh you know what uh, uh, come come let's meet in san francisco and then you know we can talk about business today it doesn't so in that sense you can prepare the engine from everywhere you can prepare the recipe then just deliver it there right so i think these are the ingredients to be able to i think hire also i think uh, uh, the first the first few sales the the founders that are able to do that counts a lot because the first 10 sales are always always a lead. So I know it's a long answer to the question, but I would say if they're able to add uh, uh, the customer and the team and the advisor link and actually bring on and excite tangible people on board when they're talking to you, that's a big sign of that these founders can truly scale up
0: globally. Right. No, I think, I think it it deserved a long-winded answer. And, you know, I love the example of Pixel founders. They have inspired, I'm sure, a lot, many other college graduates. And I'm sure, you know, that lens definitely helps just in terms of, you know, VCs to assess and see what kind of signals to look for, you know, when you are trying to identify truly, uh, you know, global companies or truly global startups. Okay. Uh, Sanjay, uh, you know, I want to uh, take you back down the memory lane again, Uh, a couple of questions to talk about some of your learnings, right? Um, I'm sure like we spoke about some of them along the way, but if you had to like summarize, right. Two or three learnings as an investor over the past decade across, you know, multiple funds and 150 investments. Uh,
1: I, I would say one right-sizing the capital at the different rounds and, uh, having enough capital at the right stage to support your companies when they break out. I think that's clear that it defines our business. That's one. I think the second is, I would just say that, uh, you have to kind of, I mean, we've chosen to you build the factory in advance, if you will, right? Which is really that you're building the engine, you're building the platform, because you believe that founders are looking for that and it'll help them. So you don't necessarily say, all right, you know, I can't really afford this platform. You know, when I get to a certain exercise, then I'll build it, then I'll hire. Uh, you want to build it because that's the right thing to do and you have to be an entrepreneur and eat it you know you take lower salary even if you're a founder uh, but you do it because uh, because founders value that right that's uh, i think the second point that you kind of build you're pre-building the platform and i think the third is you know again it sounds kind of silly to say just be a good person or good people but it's interesting everybody is a good person when the going is good right In a in a bull market if you will uh, and now look at some of the IPS stocks have fallen. Some of the SaaS stocks have fallen, I think from a 12 billion to 5 billion, right? But when I say good people, I think it's more than just, you know, not just being a good person, but it is about, you know, are you always there uh, when your founders need you? And when all founders need you, not just your best founders, right? Uh, it's difficult to not have favorite children, but the fact is that because of the venture law, the power law, you will have founders that break out, right? I mean, you you it's not surprising to have one company that's going to be valued at a billion And one company may have become a lifestyle business like living zombies, that will be exactly the same when you pack them. Uh, But uh, the third, I think the learning is that to have good friends in the network, it is important. People want to work with people they like. I think obviously people they respect, but also I think in our business, which is a people business, to me, our business is more a people business than a deal flow business. I like to say we are a people flow and not a deal flow business. It does matter, I think, who you work with, right? I don't think money is equal. It is not equal. It's equal in the public markets. The color is the same. But in the private markets, the money is not equal. So at the end of the day, we work so hard, you know, there's so much tension, you want to work with people you like and the learning is, I think hopefully the good people, you know, will get rewarded and win.
0: Yeah, no, I totally love it. Uh, you know, Sanjay, and we spoke about this, right? Building a fund is, you know, almost like building your own company. You learn so much along the way. There are, you know, successes, failures, it influences you as a person, right? You change as a person with time. So how has being, you know, a venture investor influenced your personality, you know, over the last decade?
1: That's interesting. Um, you know, I still, at, at my heart, and I'll say this, right, at my heart of hearts, I still think of, I have the heart of an angel when I say the angel investor. And what I mean by that is that if you have to pick and you look at practice gut on one side versus thoughtful, cogent financial analysis and modeling, I'm I'm more of the former, right? I'm more of the former where in the first meeting, in the first half and half, you know, I, I think I can, I, I will obviously make a lot of mistakes, but to me, I'm able to at least size up the person and the people on what they want to build, why they want to build it, how they'll build it, their sort of chances of success or failure, right? So uh, how it shaped me as a person is that I feel, I think I've become a better judge of people in general, because what are you doing at the end of the day, the earlier stage you are, you are actually judging people and you're judging people of what they are today and what they will be 10 years from now, because... When you're evaluating a business that's going to change the future, it is the people that are going to change that business of the future. That's what you're doing. You could argue that uh, also it's a little different because technology becomes really important because technology is a huge lever to change that. You're not just investing in a founder that's only doing coffee shops or restaurants. right? The building, they're doing that. I would say that. I think it's made me a much more patient person, at least I think that way, if I ask the family, they may have a different answer. (laughs) But what I mean by this is that everything in a business is so so long term, everything. So when I look at the lens that some other people have, I feel the incredibly short term, right? So I'll give an example, for example, like an investment banker, just for example, might have a bonus because they sold the company or they helped do, do a deal or somebody might do that, which is great in that business. But that may may not be the right, term, right long-term decision. You got a bonus. You, you did something to get quota, right? But was that the right thing to do? Uh, it makes you incredibly long-term. I think the third one is that uh, it makes it almost impossible to ever go back to a job again, which is both good and bad uh, because you have sacrificed so much. You have put in so much. And I'm, I I'll mean that, right? I say in one sense, the journey of a VC sometimes is if you're a founder VC, it's tougher than a founder for two reasons. There are lots of cases where founders have a successful exit and then they go apart, which is fine. They both go and launch companies, which is great for the ecosystem. Think about so many, so many examples, right? You've seen where two founders have launched separately. But the VC fund, on the other hand, the LPs are backing you for two, three decades, right? They're backing you so that you will go out and you will hire and you will expand the platform. It's like a 30-year journey. And the reason it's difficult for first-time to uh, first time fund managers to raise institutional capital is exactly that. They care less about your investments versus how you're thinking through and what your team is like, how you're building the team. And that's why they call it institutional. You know, the people say, is that an institutional VC or is that somebody's family office VC? Sometimes the family office VC can move much faster. They don't have to have an IC. It's one person's decision and they can move like lightning speed. It's not a bad thing. But... I think the, uh, how it's influenced me is that I try and think about everything institutionally. In fact, everything should almost have a very quick professional IC because then people are saying they're doing it not for one person or two people, but it has become larger than just two or three people.
0: Love it, Sanjay. Uh, thank you, you know, for that comprehensive answer. Going through that uh, phase of being a VC over the last decade uh, you know, helps you grow as a person so much, uh, just like it does when you are you know, building something as a founder through that decade. Okay, Sanjay, with that, you know, we'll uh, move to our final segment, uh, which is the rapid fire. I'll uh, shoot some questions and hope to get your honest, immediate thoughts on the same.
1: Okay, sure.
0: First question, uh, one thing that you'd like to change to improve the state of the Indian startup ecosystem today?
1: I would love to see corporates get uh, much more involved with, uh, with startups and actually really respect and value startups versus just squeezing them out for value. So to, to reward to value, but also reward them fairly.
0: If you had to give a TED talk, uh, what topic would you choose and why? This is a tough one.
1: I I would just talk about, you know, empathy, right? About empathy and being a friend, philosopher, guide, and this really being a a very long-term partnership and use examples. I would, you know, I would talk, quote, liberally about examples where it's worked and where it didn't and talk about the softer side. It's a very hard journey. I would talk about the softer side of the hard journey and why soft skills are so important.
0: Awesome. Uh, hopefully we get to see that TED talk very soon. All right. Next question. Uh, the most uh, unusual or a memorable pitch meeting that you had with the founder?
1: Yeah. Um, you know, again, I've I, I repeated this twice, but I will still remember very fond, like when I met the Pixel founders, it's memorable. I wouldn't say if it's unusual. This was over at least Dosas back at campus. Uh, they were 19 years old, maybe 20 years old, third year students. And they were just talking about just changing the world through satellites, not touching the ATLs and those. And uh, I remember meeting the dean just before that. And the dean said, you know, there are 80 business plans being hatched on campus. We were walking through the hostel rooms. And uh, and he said, and it's a wonderful thing. I thought that they would say, oh, this is a terrible thing. These boys and girls should be studying, right? You know, they're building plans. So it's memorable because I was just, just blown away by how 2021-year-old kids are sitting there hatching business plans. Never had a job in their lives. Memorable, I'm sure there are many more. Uh, I w- I'll also remember another funny one. Uh, you see, when people are really excited, they talk all the time. They love it. I remember meeting a founder in Aero City, and we're having a buffet. And I'm eating, and this guy doesn't touch his food, and I'm feeling guilty, right? Because I'm <laughs> yeah. going to the table again, and again. They're and just so passionate. I think that passion comes out, you know, when when uh, from founders.
0: Awesome, awesome. Okay, uh, last question. VCs and uh, founders from the ecosystem uh, that you admire and look up to?
1: I would say, um, uh, you know, I think Naveen Tiwari of Inmobi, I, uh, of course, I'm biased because I'm still a small part, but what I admire is a couple of things. One is that, uh, you know, he chose to come back from the US, came back and has always lived here and built this unicorn from India. And I think that is special because it's very easy to leave. It's very easy to go back to the valley and build it where you have, I think, most of the ingredients uh, and, and then to build a very unique culture where anybody who's leaving says, built it right from here. You know you don't have to leave anymore. We build it from here. We'll take the stake or whatever it is. You have the support. There's a very, very strong culture that is uh, that is inherent uh, that's there and people swear by their culture. You know, they will hire from there. And they always go back to it to the wall and say, okay, we're coming up with our own for culture. Let's borrow from it. So I think he's a special person. Um, I think when you think about VCs, it's interesting, but It's different, but when I look at like a Sanjeev Bhikandani, right, who is a VC in a different view, I think one could call him the true operator VC, uh, somebody who built a fantastic uh, unicorn business. Few people can do both right? Usually people are great operators, they're great, but sometimes they're not great investors because they want to run it all themselves. If you're a good VC, you're great, maybe at giving gyan or connecting people, but you may have not run a business. But actually you have made InfoEdge both a successful uh, operating platform on the internet side with so many different internet properties, but also being a fantastic investor, you know, investing into Zomato and investing into uh, other assets. And, And, you know, we see them even in Deep tech deals. You're looking at deep tech, rocket, drones, all those deals and we're seeing this name come up. You know, where is like classified and food uh, to, to this? And in that sense, I think that uh, to have a unique balance of both is something to be admired. And and consistently, I would say, right? I mean, InfoH is what, I mean, uh, been there since the early two thousand. Yeah, 20 years. It's been 20 years. So I think consistently to do, do it over time. It's very admirable.
0: Two very inspiring, incredible stories, you know, coming from the Indian ecosystem. Okay, Sanjay, any final thoughts that you want to leave both current and aspiring founders and VCs that are listening to you through the podcast?
1: Yeah, you you know, I'll I'll say a funny funny story that just happened when I was in San Francisco over Zoom and then just my thoughts, right? So this is a true story, you know, because I was in a different time zone and uh, my my team, my colleagues here said there's this and told Alice, my EA, there's this call that's going to happen at 8 a.m. in the morning. I am not a morning person at all. I don't like it in the mornings, but I stay up very late at night. But because the time zone difference, the call was set up. It was a Zoom and I went to sleep at past two and I was going to get up just for this call. And I get up with the call and I've not checked my WhatsApps because it was just in time. And there's nobody on the Zoom. And my colleagues are not there. Founders are not there. And then later my colleague says that uh, that company got a term sheet overnight in six hours. So the call didn't happen. Wow. <laughs> so. So it is a crazy market, right? Uh, but with that segue, segue into something else. I would really urge founders and VCs to not let translate a short-term a sort of gratification for long-term. I'll give you an example, right? Um, you give a term, you are a founder, you get a term sheet at a certain value. Now, of course, you have uh, you know investors like Tiger and all who are I think doing something very interesting things in the ecosystem. They've really put India on the map. They move very quickly. Um, and tremendous capital. Founders need that. We are fans. There are a lot of companies who are like that. But if you look at the broader spectrum, I, we have seen founders who will just take a larger or a better term sheet because it's a better term sheet. And that's not necessarily great. And what I, I'll tell you what I mean by this. You see what's happening in the public markets, right? Now, like never before there will be more scrutiny on comps, on comparables, on unit economics, on growth, growth metrics and growth vectors. And that means... If you just accept a term sheet, it's great, right? And you get a 20 million is better than 15 million or better than, certainly better than 10 million. And you don't grow and you don't perform and the markets are, you may have to do a down round the next round. You might have to do a flat round. The next investor is going to say the last investor overpaid. I'm not, they made a mistake. They overpaid. You were greedy. I'm not going to give you that, right? Because you because you made a bad mistake. I'm not paying for that. And And hence, my word of caution is that don't, do it for the wrong reasons, right? That there's a reason it's called private equity is there are multiple things. It's not just about numbers. Our business is not just about numbers. I think pick both sides. VCs should pick founders. They like to work with founders should pick VCs. I tell VCs and founders, both fellow VCs, both sides have to do diligence. This is a marriage, right? Both sides. It's not just about founders also doing diligence on VCs. Totally. So this is going to be, and it's even more important, Zoom. We don't meet each other. We are all trying to be on our best behavior on Zoom. You know, it's it's you're making a decision in 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 a in a one-hour Zoom, which is not ideal. So I would just say everybody needs to be more thoughtful and more patient, and not rush into something because it's the most attractive or lucrative. That's I'll just uh, sort of leave with that. I think it's an important point.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely important, and you know, absolutely important given the times and the uncertainty that we're seeing. You know, just in the uh, global macro markets as well. Awesome, Sanjay, this has been you know totally incredible. Uh, thanks for your time absolutely enjoyed it and yeah hopefully we'll have you back on the show sometime soon again
1: would be great to do it and thank you thanks for doing this really appreciate it
0: thank you so much for listening to today's episode of the bc bruno podcast if you enjoyed this episode please let our guests know about it share your thoughts on social media and let them know what were your key takeaways we would truly appreciate if you could subscribe to our podcast on the podcast platform of your choice and leave us a review on Apple iTunes. This will help others discover the podcast. To get insights and to learn more about startups and venture capital, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram. We will love to hear from you there. You can find all episodes together on our website, thevcpronor.com. We will be back again next week with another VCpreneur that is making a dent in the venture universe. Until then, take care and keep shining.